Hi, I'm Curtis Herbert. I'm Alice Zhao. And I'm Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly. And this is Independence, a show where the three of us talk about our efforts to make a living on the App Store, which is always a fun time. It's fun. That's the word you two would use, right? Fun. Maybe more for you than us. <laughs> Maybe a different yeah. F word? A different F word. Can you define fun <laughs> for me? Just, just, I just need to be cl- clear on this. You never know what's coming around the corner. Mm. There's always lots of ups and downs like a roller coaster uh, yeah. and lots of screaming at times oh Same I see. Thing. so you, you you mean like horrifying is what you mean okay cool horrifying Fun, yeah horrifying, horrifying. that's the yeah. word i was thinking of i mean they're yeah. right next to each other in the alphabet practically so sure. <laughs> exactly so i kind of alluded to this at the end of the last episode and you two didn't manage to steal this episode from underneath of me uh, in the meantime <laughs> so one thing i wanted to look at uh, that we kind of have the privilege around being masters of our own domain and of our own products is kind of some of the ethics behind having products and the ways in which our beliefs, our morality, our ethics, whatever they might be, how whatever the exact right word choice is there, how that can affect our business and the features we implement and how we go about them and perhaps even our potential in the app store. Because it's something you'll see quite often, especially as privacy is being discussed more and more online, is you'll see a lot of engineers being asked to do things. And they might not agree with them, but they got to get paid. And their companies are saying, hey, you have to implement this tracking feature or you have to do this or that. And it can be hard in that situation to object to that, uh, especially if you're not surrounded by people who have your back. We don't have that. All we really have is revenue that can smack us in the face if we're choosing poorly on uh, embracing certain ways of doing business. We certainly don't have people that are that have our back. That's for sure. It's yeah. just us having our own back. <laughs> no, no. See, I, you can have customers there. When I think we talked about this in the past, when I ripped out uh, the Facebook SDK, I had a lot of users reach out that were very happy about that. So I do think ethical software, ethical businesses. Some customers will notice. I don't know how much you can build a business on it, but there's definitely people out there that do respect that and might stay with you, I would argue, longer if they know that they're supporting a good business. It's kind of like supporting a local business in some ways, but the digital equivalent? Yeah, Yeah. and the fact is is that those customers, they often tend to be your biggest, I don't want to say fan because fans, the entirely wrong word but they they definitely end up being the sort of people that you actually want using your app because they care about the things that you clearly care about if people are excited by the fact that you are you are choosing to run your business and create a product that is ethical then they are the sort of people that you want on your side when like as far as your business is concerned. Yeah, and I think it's important too to appeal to them in some degree. Like that's definitely one thing I took away from ripping out the Facebook SDK is like making them aware of when you're correcting a mistake maybe, if you overstepped a line that you Mm -hmm. have or just making them aware somehow within your your UI, making it clear like, hey, I don't require accounts because I want privacy options. At least appealing to those people and letting them know like, hey, I'm paying attention to the things that you care about. And I think that's what creates those. Uh, you're saying maybe not biggest fans, but I, I maybe strong advocates. Yeah, would I'm, be what you're looking for. I, I I I don't like the word fan because it sort of suggests something that I don't necessarily feel is warranted. At least for me, I, you two can make up your own minds about that. 
but I definitely, supporters. I definitely like the yeah supporters, advocates, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Like people who are more than just like your typical user. They love the app. They want to talk about the app. They want to share it because of the choices that you're making are resonating with them very strongly. And when you're making choices, you want to be like you. you generally want to be sort of pitching those choices towards a type of person or, or like or, or a person that you uh that you're aiming like you're marketing towards like you're aiming towards yeah. so not, it's not to say that like uh ethics are a marketing ploy but they can be well apple certainly thinks so <laughs> yeah. environmentalism privacy exactly. like they're exactly. they're leaning hard into that and i would rather have ethics as a marketing ploy where where they are actually a thing that is being done. At the end of the day, what you want is ethics, and what you want is somebody to actually like say that they're doing something, and then that's what they're doing. Because we live currently in a world where so much of the software, everything gets hidden down deep within the like the terms of use, and it mm-hmm. it unravels. Yeah, it just it like does. it goes and it and it causes problems, and you don't want to be caught in that, and you don't want your product to no. be caught in that. Like, no, that's not that's no good. Yeah, I agree because as we're creating apps for kids, it almost feels like I have to be even more on guard about being ethical because yeah. I don't want to be collecting data that shouldn't be collected. I don't want to be marketing towards them. And that's, I mean, not to take a stab at, at gift wrapped or anything, but like we chose not to put ads in there. Yeah, Jelly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Using your dirty ads. Slopes <laughs> chose not to do ads either. No, I mean, there are, there are other kids app developers that have ads. And I think they're a little bit more mindful of what ads they put in there. But it's just something where, like, let's just not go down that route at all. Yeah. It made it it a little easier, too, for us to make that decision. But that put us into the paid business model. So we would never go free and have it supported by ads. But I think I'm okay with that. As long as I felt like I put out a really clean product, that was what was more important to me than being able to support it through ads. And to be fair, I didn't imagine that this app would be used like all the time. So, for example, like gift wrapped. So, bringing it around back. Oh, I to see you. how this works. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Trying to make you feel better, but like it w- it's something that would for kids they don't use it that often. I would imagine, or th- that's how we imagined it back then. Yeah. So we would not have likely made a lot of money on ads or maybe been able to support on that model. So maybe we're not that ethical. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But in general, I just wanted to say, let's just stay away from that arena of putting ads in there or collecting any data and just keep make it a very clean, trustable, trustworthy app. It's weird because that almost feels old fashioned in a way (laughs) nowadays. Like if you look at a lot of software nowadays, the route to success is getting a bunch of users and getting a bunch of engagement yeah, and getting them just habitually using your platform. Yep. And I've even caught myself doing this when I'm flying somewhere like to WWDC. Um, maybe that flight doesn't have Wi-Fi and I'm sitting there playing with my phone, changing music. All of a sudden I'll launch Twitter. Yeah. I don't have internet. There is no reason me, for me to press that blue bird, but it's just something that has become habit. And then I promptly take it off my home screen for a little bit. But that that seems like kind of the modern way to do software. And then you can be ad supported because you're getting more viewership there. Mm-hmm. And I could see that being really dangerous for kids. You're, you'd, you'd be trying to hook them 
on your product, like digital crack almost. Um, and those kids would slurp it right up. They they would enjoy that. Yeah, that's actually you're you're describing that book I read called Hooked. It actually I think it's called Hooked, and it is exactly creating that digital crack. And I'm like, well, for kids, they don't. They're not. It's not their device. Just say no to drugs. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not trying to lure them in any other way. I mean, it, when I read the book, it sounded it made a lot of sense because it basically mm. applied to like Facebook and all those other social media type apps. I mean, one of the things that we sort of touched on briefly was last episode when we were talking about privacy, we were saying that like if you go down the path of using dark patterns and stuff like that to enable certain, like to, to sort of take your users down specific paths, that can start out with the best of intentions and end in a place that is just not good. And I think the thing about creating software that is ethical and creating a business that is ethical is that there's no hard and fast black and white line. Like it's not like one side is black and Mm -hmm. the other side is white. It tends to be very blurred. It's, it's all about judgment calls and what you feel as the indie, as the developer, as the person creating the software is right. And to an extent, there are some, social cues and sort of society has cues for what is acceptable but they are also starting to sort of trend in a direction that you don't want to go you know you were saying Curtis that to not market towards kids and to not make your app addictive and stuff like that is sort of old-fashioned and it's because a lot of software is going that direction yeah. Well, a lot of software is based on addiction nowadays. And that's something I find interesting about this kind of discussion, because like you're saying, it can start out the most well-intended changes to your product. Yeah. Like who wouldn't want to get your product used more if you're yeah. working inside of Facebook and you're like, oh, this is great. We can get people to check the site more often. And you legitimately think that your site is contributing to their happiness because in some ways it is. It's connecting them with friends and family and stuff like that. Of course, that's something that you might think is a good idea. But then the problem is, I think that we just start optimizing that stuff Mm -hmm. and we don't always take a step back to look at kind of the whole picture. And I think that's part of the key to the ethics that I'm talking about here is that you really need to take a step back and not just see what your intentions are, but see what your actual impact to your users Mm -hmm. and to your customers and even to the world at large might be. You know, are you feeding some kind of digital addiction or not? You know, what is you might be to some degree. So what is your actual impact there? Not what are your intentions, but like, how are you actually doing it? And I think that's part of being ethical because you know the best intentions, but you really also have to make sure that you're living up to them and measuring yourself by them. It's interesting because just yesterday, just yesterday, I was I was watching a video I've been I've I've gotten a new YouTube channel that I've been uh, I've been sort of watching a bunch of videos from called uh, Game Makers Toolkit. Oh, I lo- first of all love that channel. Second it's of all, great. this is what you're working on instead of my Bluetooth library. No, <laughs> no, exposed. I got to do something while I'm feeding a baby. It's like it's like both hands are full. I can't I code. Well, I guess yes, I could. There are ways to code with voice. There are. But just yesterday, I was watching a video about uh, keeping players engaged and we'll link to the video and it was funny because it's basically talking about a lot of the same same things but on the flip side of like how do you keep people engaged in your game like what's the ways to do that and watching the video it starts out with like basically demonizing a handful of typical things that you see in a lot of free-to-play games 
and then sort of moving past that into like what makes a game engaging and why is that a good thing as opposed to a bad thing. And at a certain point within the video, it starts to sort of like, it starts to get very, it creeps just ever so close to where I would, I felt started to feel uncomfortable with like, Hmm. I wouldn't do that in a game because I, that feels uncomfortable to me. And like we want to create apps that are also engaging and the tips that that make a good game engaging aren't necessarily the same from what makes an app engaging. But there is a very blurry line between something being engaging and being useful and being something that people come back to because they, they have use for it in their lives or, or whatever and being something that they are addicted to. We can We can certainly sit here in theory and say, like engaging is good, but addictive is bad. And we don't want to cross that line, but it's hard to tell and it's hard to know. And just because you have the good intentions doesn't mean mean that you're making the right moves. And it can be really difficult to create something that is uh, that doesn't go past those lines. So I think what I was not so eloquently saying earlier was that Gus on the Go is an educational app. And in an ideal world, once they've gotten what they got out of Gus on the go, they move on. So it prevents me from trying to gamify it and trying to retain them forever mm. or trying to maximize session times. Mm. Like So my metrics would be more like, how do I figure out how they've actually learned the material versus like, let's try to extend this for as long as possible in a session, if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is that like, it prevents me, like having that in mind prevents me from trying to game it towards a certain set of KPIs and more of like the educational, like, okay, you got this. It's okay to move on. Yeah. Your, your business success is more closely aligned to your customer needs. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, it's also, <laughs> it's also a different set of customer needs. Yeah. I mean, I certainly want to keep them engaged and the key to learning vocabulary in general is repetition. So there is part of it where I want them to spend more time in games because it actually helps them, but I'm not going to maximize on or try to optimize on that number. Truly, I'm only just focusing on are they having fun and does it work? Yeah. No, and that's why it's really good that you your business model kind of matches that alignment. You know, you're not doing some consumable-based thing to try and get money out of them. Like, you have a limited amount of time, so you charge them a price, and that's kind of it. The, again, kind of the old-fashioned-y type of thing. But I think some of the allure with some of the things that I would consider myself not ethical is that they can help your business succeed. Maybe you're artificially limited with Gus because you have them for three months, and then they're done learning that vocabulary, and all is good great. But some apps like Slopes, I want them to continue using it year after year and Mm -hmm. to continue to pay me year after year. And definitely some of these patterns that we see out there that sometimes we raise our eyebrows at are ones that are helping those other companies succeed. And I think that can be one of the hard parts of being a little bit more ethical and standing your ground because it's kind of nice to be able to say, yeah, you know what? That's not how I want to make money. And we did kind of talk about that with the privacy episode, but it it adds challenges to your business when you give up on some of these things. Yes. As the person who writes gift wrapped, who does <laughs> the ads thing. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> as the person who, who creates gift wrapped and as the person who has to make the choice as to whether or not there are ads in gift wrapped, I am constantly, constantly in a fight with myself over like how I feel about that. Ad companies are horrifying. 
They are terrible and will do anything to get data and to get information. And here I am doing my darndest to stop that from happening while also making money from (laughs) ads. And it's not great. Like, it's not a good position to be in. And at least a couple of times people have asked me, like, oh, what ad provider are you using so I can go and use them too? And I'm like, just really think about, just really think about whether or not ads are the right call for your app. I even not, I'm not even sure that at this point that they are the right call for gift wrapped. I think I might want to be going down a path where I take them out and like do something else to, mm-hmm. to make up for that revenue, like lost revenue. Because at this stage, I've become more concerned about the fact that like my users want privacy or like I like to think that they want privacy. But also like on the other hand, I've got to stop this oncoming wave of company that just wants their data, which is entirely at odds. And when you, when you were talking earlier, Alice, about how like you chose not to do ads in your app, it's one of these things where choices like, like adding ads tends to dictate other choices that you're going to make. If you're going to go down the path of adding ads and then you know, have an ad provider and start making money from that, all of a sudden that's your reason for existence is to get people to mm. see ads. Yeah. yeah. And so it tends to take you down a path of, well, I could just add more ads. I could just have interstitials. Yeah. I could put ads, you know. Ads in your ads. <laughs> you could have ads in ads for ads. <laughs> And so it's one of these things where like one choice can take you down a path that you don't want to do. And like all that I wanted when I put ads in was like, okay, like this app doesn't, isn't going to make much money, but maybe if I stick a couple of ads in it, like I can, I can recoup some of my costs. You really have to think about the choices that you're making. And sometimes you make a choice because you think that it's not going to have implications, but every choice has implications and especially ones that have to do with ethics. Because when you make that choice, you're going to end up in a situation five years down the track where suddenly you're rethinking that choice and maybe you feel like you didn't make the right one and you've yeah. let your users down. I feel like I've let my users down with having ads, which is horrifying. Like it's a horrifying thought. Well, so we keep talking about some of the bigger things in ethics, but I think sometimes the ethics can also be a lot of little things. The death by a thousand cuts, right? I was redesigning some screens to get ready for iOS 13 and I found myself a simple thing and I've even seen Apple kind of waffle on this as of late, but you have your big call to action button, you know, and it's nice big there at the bottom Mm -hmm. and then you want to provide an opt out for that. Like maybe they don't want to set that up now. So do you put little tiny like or maybe normal ish size text underneath of it that says not now, but it doesn't really look like a button. It's just a little bit of text just hanging out there, easy to miss? Mm -hmm. Or do you make that secondary option a nice button? Maybe not as primary as your main call to action, but it still looks like a freaking button that you can tap. It can be a lot of little things like that that add up, though. Now I'm trying to, like, imagine all those other ones that say not now. (laughs) All the apps I've seen. (laughs) Well, I have seen some subscription apps, even from some people in the community that really champion things like informed consent with subscriptions, because we see a lot of subscription scams out there nowadays, you know, people being tricked into them, stuff like that. I've seen some apps out there from these people that, you know, when they show you the subscription page during onboarding or something like that, that close button in the top right corner really isn't that visible. Like Mm. it's there, you can see it, but it really just all the information going on on the screen, you can't really see it that much. And 
sometimes ethics is just, I'm going to crank that button up to 11 and make it really stand out and make it clear that you can click it. I mean, the most obvious example that I can think of is the onboarding sequence for iOS. Yeah. Like when you set up a new phone, which somehow I've done a lot lately, there is definitely that sort of pattern in a lot of the choices that you make while you're setting up iOS. Do you want to turn on Siri or do you want to like skip this step? And allowing Siri to come on is big and bold and skipping is like tiny little text. Same with passcodes and same with uh, like the touch ID and stuff like that. But in some cases, that's good, right? Yeah, touch ID. That's a great example of a good one. Some of these cases, you want to send your users down the success path because the success path is actually good for them. And it's, it is the ethical path. <laughs> and not quote unquote good for them, as some businesses might say. It legit is. It is. Like you, you want to be able like you want to make the choices that are going to make it more secure, more convenient for, for your users because it's not like... It's not like doing that is a bad thing. It's not like, I mean, yes, okay, I'm going to get email. Touch ID and stuff like that is less secure than just having a really good passcode and you should have a really good passcode that you remember and so you probably shouldn't set up Touch ID. You should just have a really good passcode if you really care about your security and stuff like that. But still, at the end of the day, for most people, having that success, going down that success path is generally good. Yeah, and then you're raising the overall security of the... I want to say herd because I'm thinking herd immunity here, but like you're you're basically <laughs> raising the security level on average yeah. for everybody worldwide at that point. Yeah. Because let's be honest, you're not going to convince the technically illiterate out there to make a long passcode. And if you do, they're going to have that on a sticky note on the back of their phone. Yeah. So the success path there is worth pushing people down. <laughs> this makes me think of the opposite spectrum when you're shopping and like immediately they want you to subscribe and like do you feel like or this is how i feel now because i feel like they guilt you into doing it they're like mm. hey you should save like 15 percent now or the other option is nope i don't really need a discount <laughs> you know have you seen that or am i like i'm alone oh on this yeah one? a lot of websites will do that like no i don't I need your help the, yes <sighs> exactly and it's so like passive aggressive exactly and i'm like is that a good marketing or is this bad marketing i can't tell but either way i do feel bad now but i'm gonna say no certainly there are <laughs> always cases where it, it is intentional and they want mm-hmm. you to feel guilt because right. they are trying to that's, guilt you into doing it i feel like in some cases at least it is an uh, it's an unintentional choice that they've made of like i want my app to sound hip and fun because mm-hmm. that's a thing that the kids want. And you, you you were saying at the beginning of the show, Curtis, that your intentions don't always mean that you're being ethical. It's yeah. Ethical isn't about intentions. It's about like the actions that you actually are taking. And it's one of those things where like you have to balance the needs of, I want my app to sound fun and cheeky, you know, and like, what are you actually saying to the user and what are you trying to do? Sometimes the best, you know, words to say are skip this, not now, right. rather than like, no, I don't want that. Or some, some other statement that makes it seem like, you know, that that would be like horrifying if they if they ever chose that. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and actually, so your word of choice there just got me on another, I think, point of ethics in some of the modern business practices I'm seeing on applications, and that is informed consent for a lot of things. So I've seen some apps recently and talked to some people who run apps recently where like it's a pattern that some people are following where they might show the price of something upfront and not disclose the fact that there's a free version. 
But then maybe an hour later, if the person closes the app and doesn't go back in because they're like, oh, there's a paywall. I don't I don't want to. Then maybe they get a silent push notification saying like, hey, your free thing is available. And like, oh, by the way, here's a half off discount code. Like they're basically like not letting them know up front about what the potential prices are or that there's even a free version and then hitting them with their biggest number and slowly whittling them down with push notifications to like finally get them to agree. And it's like you're haggling with an app itself. And like that, that's just, I think that's one of the big things we have to be careful of is making sure our users have informed consent. And that's really important. At least in slopes, I put a pretty big priority on that. Like, I almost redesigned my onboarding screens until I realized it wasn't the right time to make a sale to let people know like, hey, there's a paid version in this app. You might have to pay, but don't worry, the free version is good. And I only took it out just because it wasn't the right time. And there's other ways I'm informing people that there's a paid version. But that that kind of surprise, I think, and lack of informing people, it helps bottom lines, but it doesn't necessarily respect the user. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes down to what I was saying a little earlier with advertising, right? Like you might should make the choice of I'm putting ads in my app so that I can make a couple of bucks off this because why not, right? Yeah. But putting ads in an app takes you down a path. Suddenly, because that's where you're getting your money, you, you now, you're motivated to get more money from that. That's, yeah. that's your motivation, right? I need to make people see my ads, click on my ads, do stuff with my ads. Well, and you'll get external pressure because the ad networks will start paying you less over time mm-hmm. as yep. the ad market get saturated. Fun fact, I turned on a bunch of extra settings that I discovered in my ad networks SDK uh, around the time that I released 2.0. 2.0, my impressions for ads doubled, but my income from said ads actually dropped slightly. Oh, wow. Because I turned on a bunch of features that just mean that yeah. certain ads won't just won't show, which is actually a good thing in my books. <laughs> the point that I'm making, I guess, is that with subscriptions, it can be very much the same. And it's one of those things where you have to be careful. You have, like, subscriptions are great because over time they tend to make uh, make an, an app sustainable. And I've certainly seen that with adding the with adding subscriptions to Gifwrapped. It's definitely, um, you know, trending in a way that I can actually appreciate. But there is a drive then to get as many people to subscribe as I possibly can. And definitely apps out there that take advantage of that in order to make their, in order to basically drive their business. And over the past few weeks, months, um, there have been several apps that I've seen sort of called out on Twitter and stuff like that, where they present you with a free trial. And that free trial, when that ends, it's like, it's an exorbitant amount of money per week or or per month. Yeah, nine dollars a week. <laughs> and no right, no person would ever subscribe to that if that was upfront mm-hmm. and if you were upfront about that, unless they had that much money to throw just throw away for a coloring book or something along those lines. Like it, it just wouldn't happen. But people are making choices in order to make that happen that definitely take them down bad paths. And so it's not so much that subscriptions are bad, and it's not so much that ads are bad it's that if you're not careful you there is like there is definitely a line that you may find yourself going over because there is just it's just so hard because it's not it's not from black immediately to white it's black through several shades of gray until suddenly you realize that like 
oh crap, I'm on the other side of the line. <laughs> yeah, because some of it, we keep going back to it. It starts with good intentions, like, you know, the sense of urgency. You know, that is a sales tactic that's used in the real world forever. I mean, that's why we have Memorial Day sales and Labor Day sales over here in the States, like yeah. uh, as some kind of holiday sale. And that's, it's a valid technique that works. But at the same time, then you'll see some apps take that to a new digital extreme, like I was saying, where they'll put the price up front. And then if you decide to kill the app, then maybe it gives you a push notification an hour later with a sale, like those kind of tricks, like you're coming from a place of like, oh, this is good sound business advice because it is on paper but at the end of the day it ends up working against you and kind of feeling tricky yeah it, i i feel like it certainly makes it so that users can't trust that service or trust that product and you you only have to do it once like do the bad yeah. thing once and then mm-hmm. you sort of lose a lot of trust and trust is something as many tv shows will tell you is earned it is earned through actions you earn your tr- users trust you don't just like and you start out generally with like people are downloading it and trying it and they they will generally give you the benefit of the doubt. But if you sort of show on multiple occasions, even on one occasion that you can't be trusted, then you're going to lose a lot of that trust. And you may find that by implementing certain techniques that it sort of like the benefit outweighs the cost. Like you might lose the trust of some users, but you gain... But you're getting all the money up front. Yeah. But... Do you want to have a short-term gain or do you want to have a long-term gain? Because I yeah. think being ethical and doing the right thing is one of the major solutions to having long-term gain. It's not about grabbing a bunch of subscribers immediately on launch. It's about having that over time. And that tends to be a better thing in the long term than tricking a bunch of users in the short term and then people realizing that you're doing shady stuff and then everybody just ditches you because yeah not great that's not what you want i mentioned this in the last episode about data privacy how how i came from you know a marketing company background where their whole thing was about buying leads and then like that kind of informed how i was going to build my email list right so in the beginning i created free downloads of some printable uh, material that goes along with the app and for me, I was just trying to build this list as fast as I could. And this is before GDPR came in and talk, you know, required, or even before that, um, the whole double opt-in yeah. thing was an, uh, became a bigger and bigger requirement um, across the board. So you slurped those email addresses up, didn't you? So I totally slurped it, which is why I said at the very end of that episode, I wasn't proud. And so I look back and it is embarrassing and it's a huge lesson learned and which is why I'm really glad all these conversations are happening now about data privacy and ethics because it felt like it was so new back when I started. It was new to me. I don't know if it was new in the industry, but like that, those conversations weren't truly being had. I thought I'm glad it's a thing now though, because we should address this and we all generally should have this understanding of what privacy and ethics should be yeah but yes i i learned that lesson and now we have a double opt-in and it makes me very happy They're, the numbers have dwindled but i feel good about the people on my list <laughs> that's good one of the mistakes i made uh was i've always been afraid to sell and i've always been afraid to market the fact that there is premium within slopes because i do worry that a lot of people out there will just instantly delete an app if there are paid options and so 
it wasn't intentional. I thought I was selling when it was the right time to sell, but I really didn't make people aware of the premium options before they already recorded the day, before they were invested in it. And if you went there in the more tab, like there was a link there to learn more about Slopes Premium, but you know, I feel like I can do better there. And that's something I'm working on trying to address. And again, it came from good intentions. It came from making the sale at the right time, but it certainly, I think, was kind of rubbing me the wrong way from an informed consent standpoint. Like if you're going to go ahead and invest the time to record with slopes or to record a day skiing with slopes, you don't want to feel like you lost that data in any way, even though you can export from slopes and all that. But like, I don't want people to feel ripped off in that way. So that consent, I think, is something I'm working a little bit more on. And it takes me challenging the points where I'm afraid to sell. It's hard to balance. So I'm going to sell our email addresses. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at hello at independence.fm. Uh, that's the only email address for sale here. But you can get our Twitter handles too, if that's your kind of thing. So occasionally we are online and a bit chatty. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter as parrots. That's the plural of the word. I'm Ida I must. And I am Jelly Bean Soup. And that's it for this episode. We will talk to you all again in two more weeks. Till then, goodbye.